It is like Ashley read my notes when she chose that song. Because it is the perfect song of what we're going to talk about this morning. Let me, let me preface it with just a, a little story. Years and years ago, when I was at Grand Rapids School of the Bible and Music, um, while I was there, I talked with a woman on the phone. And her husband had just ran away and left her. And she now held a note in her hand that he had left. He said he felt unworthy of her love. Um, you know, he had cheated on her a number of times. Now the guilt was overwhelming to him. And he just felt that he had to leave, that he didn't deserve her. While we were on the phone, I talked to her about, you know, the, the need for forgiveness. The forgiveness of Jesus Christ. That, you know, ultimately I said, you know, it's not your forgiveness he needs. He needs Christ's forgiveness. And she says, I know, I know that. But we, we just can't do that. You know, I think we all know people whose past is haunting them. Something happened years ago in their life. Maybe something big, maybe a, a big sin happened in their life, something that they did. And to this very day, it is haunting them. We may even know Christians who are handcuffed by their past sin. Perhaps even some here today are carrying about within them the guilt of some past action, some past event in their life. And it's weighing on you like an anchor in your faith. Something that happened years and years ago. But you just can't let it go. Well, last week, if you remember, we focused on the believer's need to repent of their sins. You know, before we went to the communion table, we talked about our need to, to confess, to repent, and receive that cleansing so that our relationship with the Lord is not hindered. Well, this week, I want to take it to the next step. I want to talk to you about the neglected half of the gospel message. Let me make a statement. We're going to go ahead and put this statement up on the board for you here. Go ahead and get that if you can, Matt. There you are. It says, until you can rest in the finality of the cross, you will never experience the reality of the resurrection. Let me give it to you again. I want you to think about this. This is what we're going to talk about this morning. Until you can rest in the finality of the cross, you will never experience the reality of the resurrection. Let me take you to 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3. Or excuse me, 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 3. It says this. It says, For his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. Through these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises so that by them we may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world on account of lust. Now let me answer a quest, ask you a question here. We're looking at these verses here. What is a believer given through God's divine power? 
What does it say that we have been given through God's divine power? What does it say up there? Life. Everything. Everything pertaining to life and godliness. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, if you're a true child of God, you have been given everything that you need for this life. You have given everything for your spiritual walk and your closeness and your your unity with God. Everything we need for life and godliness. The ability to participate in the divine nature of God. To escape, it says, the, the corruption of this world. That's what we have been given here. In Christ, we have everything we need. And I find, though, that so many Christians... We start out with Jesus Christ. I mean, think back to when you got saved. I can still remember when I was 15 years old. And I can still remember praying and, and, and sitting down with a, a number of the, the, the youth leaders and, and, and just pouring myself and my heart out to them and asking for forgiveness of Christ. I remember all that Christ did in that moment when my sins were lifted. I can still remember that like it happened yesterday. And so many people, we can remember that, can't we? That... That, that, that moment that we became God's children. But we have a tendency to, to have that experience with Jesus Christ. And then, you know, over time, somehow in our faith, we go around looking for something else. You know, that there's, you know, got to be something more in our Christian faith. You know, something, yes, we have Jesus, but, you know, there's, there's something more out there that we need to be able to go forward. But verse 3 said, For his divine power has granted us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. You see, the Christian faith isn't starting out with Jesus and then kind of graduating to other things to keep your, your Christianity, to keep your faith going. The Christian life is about starting out with Jesus Christ and then spending the rest of eternity you know, learning more and more about the Savior, and more and more about all those things that he has given us. It says, in, in whom are hidden the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, Colossians chapter 2, verse 3 tells us. In Jesus Christ, and, and ours as a Christian is to discover those things, to learn about him. So all of this, all of this being true, what Peter says, that if you're a Christian, you've been given everything, this raises a question. That if this is true, then why aren't many Christians experiencing it? Why aren't we experiencing it if this is true? I mean, even those who know about, you know, living for him and, you know, we're supposed to be resting him, we know that, but why are the reality of what we know and what we're experiencing, how, do those, how are those things getting separated? Let's go a little bit farther in 2 Peter. It says in verses 5 through 8, it goes, Now for this reason also, it says, Apply diligence in your faith. Supply, uh, yeah, excuse me. Now for this reason also, apply all diligence. In your faith, supply moral excellence. And in your moral excellence, knowledge. And in your knowledge, self-control. And in your self-control, perseverance. And in your perseverance, godliness. And in your godliness, brotherly kindness. And in your brotherly kindness, kindness, love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, 
They do not make you useless nor unproductive in the true knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. In other words, what it's saying there is no one possesses these qualities in a single stroke. You didn't get saved and all of these things like faith and moral excellence and knowledge and and self-control. Suddenly, you know, you've got them all. It says there in verse 8, it it talks about increasing measure or, or growing in these things. Well, what is it that blocks a person from growing? What is it that blocks us from maturing in our faith? Finally, it goes on in verse 9, 2 Peter 1, 9. It says, for the one who lacks these qualities is blind and short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Folks, mark that verse. You want to know what's hindering your walk with the Lord? You don't want to know what's, what's keeping you from, you know, that growth that, that, that we claim that God is going to give us? It is not letting go of our past sins. It is forgetting what Christ has done to, to take our sins away. Because if Satan can keep you preoccupied with your past, if he can keep you preoccupied with your guilt, with your sin... If he, he, if he reminds us constantly of our sin, he keep, makes us ineffective and unproductive. You see, how can, the true, you know, how can we trust Christ with our lives if we're unsure about his attitude towards us? If we're unsure about his attitude towards something that I did 10 years ago or 5 years ago or 25 years ago, how can we fully trust him if I'm not sure what he feels about my sin? And the only hope is an understanding of and a total trust in the fact that Jesus Christ did it all on the cross. Ephesians 1.7 says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of wrongdoings according to the riches of his grace. That verse, Ephesians 1.7, is written in a, a, a present tense. In other words, we have it. It's not something that one day you're going to get to heaven And all our sins are going to be taken care of. You know, we have it right now. That's what he's saying. We aren't aren't waiting for the forgiveness of our sin. We have the forgiveness of our sin already. I mean, just think about it for a moment. Think about if you have children or if you have a really good friend and, and you did something, or excuse me, they did something really bad to you, you know, and and, and they felt really bad about it, and they came to you, and they said, will you forgive me? I'm really sorry I did this. And you say, yes, I'll forgive you. And that's great, and they go on their way. And, but suddenly, a week later, they come back to you again, and they, and they say, man, I, I really feel bad about what I did. Will you forgive me? You say, yeah, yes, I, I forgive you. I already forgiven you. And then every day, every day, every time you see them, you can see it written on their faces. What is going on out there? <laughs> there must be quite a storm coming in. Every day you can see it on their faces there. You know, that they just, they feel so bad about what they have done. And as a result of that, I mean, it doesn't that hinder your relationship with them? You want them. I've forgiven you. You want them to move on. You want them to move forward in your relationship with them. You know, we, 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 we so forget that, that that's what we have with Jesus Christ. Whatever it is that I have done in my past, 
whatever it is that you have done in your past, when you take it to Christ and you ask forgiveness, like we talked about last week, that need for believers, even when we sin after we're Christians, that need for that cleansing, the need to wash the parts that are dirty of us and to be cleansed, when that is done, that is done. And we are, we are restored, fully restored. Colossians chapter 2, verse 13 and 14 It says, and when you were dead in your wrongdoings and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our wrongdoings. Not some of them, not most of them. You know, he didn't keep a a couple of them in his back pocket to use against you. He has forgiven us all our wrongdoings, having canceled the certificate of debt consisting of degrees against us, which was hostile to us. He has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Folks, do you believe this? Do you believe what God has done for you through his son Jesus Christ and your sin? I mean, as a Christian, I mean, how forgiven are you in God's sight? You are totally forgiven. Your debt has been canceled. God does not hold accusation against you. Why? So he can concentrate on the second half of the gospel. And this is what we forget. We are so good at Christians on the first half of the gospel. We are so good on that Jesus died for your sins. That he shed his blood and there's a, a, a price to pay and he paid that price. We are so good on that part of the gospel. But we forget the second part. That he is resurrected to new life. You know, Christ died for our sins and he resurrected to new life. That is the second half, half of the gospel, the resurrection. He, he died for your sins to give you a new life. He has forgiven you so that you can be filled with him. And until you can rest on the finality of the cross, that no matter what it is in your life that is done, when you have come to Christ and you have asked forgiveness, he has forgiven you. Until you can rest in that, you're going to never experience the reality of the resurrection, the reality of the new life. And Satan has done this masterful job of diverting diverting a Christian's attention off of their new life because we're so busy looking at our old life and the things that we have done in the past. Now, I've used this illustration before, but um, it's just one of those illustrations that it, it, it bears repeating um, how many of you here have ever done canning? You've, you've, you've put up, you know, canning, you know, people canning? Okay, let me ask you some questions about that. You help us. What's the first thing you do to the jars before you put the, the peaches or, you know, apples? What's the first thing you do to a jar when you're canning? What's that? You sanitize it. You cleanse it. Well, just imagine, ladies here, or ladies or husbands, whoever does the canning in your house, that you know your your spouse comes home and they see you with all these jars and you're sterilizing them and you're boiling them and you're taking them out and putting them out on the counter and you know you know, hey what are you doing there? Well, I'm you know I'm cleaning these jars. Well, that's fantastic. Next day he comes home and you're cleaning more jars. And pretty soon your whole house is decorated with with jars. Is that why you're cleaning the jars? Is that why you go to all the trouble to just have clean jars around? No, you clean the jars because you want to put something in them. 
God didn't go to all that effort. God didn't make that sacrifice to cleanse your life for the purpose of your life just to be cleansed. He has done it for the purpose to fill your life so that he can put something else in it. And to a large extent, we Christians have been guilty of preaching this type of a gospel. That the most important thing is that the jars are clean. That's only half of it. The jars are just to be filled with Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, all these, all these promises that we talk about. This is the, the filling of the Spirit. You know, the reason that God had to deal once and for all with sin, the sin issue, was so that we could be filled with Christ. So that the things that he puts in us aren't spoiled. They don't, they don't rot because there's some germs or stuff in them. That's why he had to cleanse us so he could fill us. So, so in the canning process, we sterilize the jars, and then we fill the jars. What's the next thing you do, ladies or whoever? What's the, what's the third thing you do in, in canning? What's that? You seal them. You seal them. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. It says, In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed you were sealed in him, with the Holy Spirit of promise. So you have the cleansing, so you can have the filling. There is a sealing. That is salvation. That's our relationship with God. The goal of salvation is the raising of dead men to life. We were dead in our trespasses of sin. We have a new life in Jesus Christ. Sin is dealt with once and for all at the cross. And all through Scripture, I mean, the very fact that it is mentioned over and over, almost every single book of the New Testament, it mentions this truth. The, the fact that it is probably is because it's a hard lesson for us to learn that we are totally forgiven. It says in Romans chapter 6.10, For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all time, but the life he lives, he lives to God. Hebrews 9.26, Otherwise, Otherwise, he would have needed to suffer once, uh, excuse me, suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now once, at the consummation of the ages, he has been revealed to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Once he did this. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. For Christ also suffered for sins once for all time, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. The complete forgiveness of Jesus Christ, it's mind-boggling. It's not something that we deserve, but it's something for us, if we are going to grow in our faith, that we have to accept. You know, for some it's hard to believe. You know, it, you know that, that, that God would do it so completely. And I think Israel had that problem in the Old Testament. You know, and, and because of this, God gave Israel, until Jesus Christ would come, God gave Israel the sacrificial system to help them understand what he was trying to do in their life. It says in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1, it says, For the, for the law, since it has only a shadow of the good things to come, and not the former of those itself, can never, by the same sacrifice which they have offered continually every year, make those who approach perfect. In other words, forgiveness of the law 
was different than it was today. Um, let's say you're an Israelite and you're, you're, you're trying to live under the law before Christ. And all year long, God is keeping a record of your sins. Thought and action, whatever it might be. And those sins are just piling up in your life all year long. You feel guilt. You feel fear of God. You feel condemnation for God. But finally comes the Day of Atonement for Israel. That great celebration. The Day of Atonement is coming. It is that annual feast, you know, where, where, where they, they get together and they fast and they pray. They confess their sins. And that day, on that day, the Day of Atonement, a perfect bull is sacrificed on behalf of the nation. The priest takes the, the blood of that bull and enters into the holiest of holies. And he sprinkles the blood on the altar, you know, covering you know, the, the sins of the nation, every sin that has been committed over the past year. Also during that time, in Leviticus chapter 16, you'll read, two goats were chosen. One, one goat was slain on the altar. The other goat was called the scapegoat. The elders would place their hands on that scapegoat, on the head of the goat, symbolizing the transferring of the nation's sins to this scapegoat. And then the thousands upon thousands of Israelites would lie in the street and the scapegoat would be driven out into the wilderness. Again, symbolizing the, the taking away of their sins. And that is good news. I mean, for an Israelite, the Day of Atonement, what a glorious day to know that their, their sins are gone, their sins have been taken away. That's the good news. But the bad news is that the very next day, your sins begin to mount up again. They begin to add up the thoughts that you had, the actions that you did or you didn't do. And it all starts over again, and it's this endless cycle. You'll see the key word there is the word atonement. The day of atonement means, it means a covering. Those sacrifices, they did cover the sins, but they could not take away the sins. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 4 says, For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Think of it like this. It's like if you went out this week to buy a car, and, man, you saw a car you really, really liked. And so you pulled out your credit card, and you bought that car, car with a credit card. Well, that credit card enables you to not pay anything for that car but to enjoy the benefits of it today. And that's the good news. For those of you who have ever, ever gotten in credit card debt, you know where the bad news is. The bad news is that someday you're going to have to pay. Someday the creditors are going to come. You see, that card didn't pay, your, your credit card didn't pay for the car. It only transferred the debt to an account. That account still needed to be paid. And then in God's perfect timing, Jesus Christ is introduced by John the Baptist. Remember those words? Behold the Lamb of God who does what? Takes away the sins of the world. He doesn't just cover them. He doesn't just put them off into a different account. He takes away the sins of the world. In other words, he stamps paid in full through Jesus Christ. Hebrews 10, 10 through 12 
says, by this will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all times. Every priest stands daily ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices, which can never take away sin. But he, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, he sat down at the right hand of God. You see, that is the message, the true message of salvation through Jesus Christ. The Old Testament priests, they stood daily ministering. Jesus Christ sits down at the right hand of God. He sits down because he is finished. The work is done. He goes on in verse 14. He says, For by one offering he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. One offering, taking care of all of us, all who come to know Christ as their Lord and Savior. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow. That's what Christ does. That's what he did for you at the cross. And again, this doesn't preach a license for us to sin. It doesn't matter what we do as a Christian because we talked about that last week. We talked about keeping that relationship with God pure, uh, you know, unfettered, unweighed down so that we can worship him. But if we are preaching and living the entire gospel, we must go to the entire gospel. That yes, we have all sinned. And yes, Christ died for our sins. Yes, we need to accept his payment. But he rose to new life. We have been forgiven so that we can be filled. You know, that's the forgotten part of the gospel message. There's a reason that he saved you. If you are a Christian today, you have a purpose. God didn't just randomly save you to save you. He saved you for a purpose, to fill you. You know, uh, he, he has something for you that he wants to pour himself into you to be able to do. And if you are saved today, you will never be more secure today than, you, uh, than ever. There is nothing you have done in the past, nothing we're ever going to do that will make us more secure or less secure. It is totally paid for in Jesus Christ. Let me end with some verses. Romans chapter 8, verses 1 and 2. It says, Therefore there is now no condemnation at all for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. But, the, but if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Then it goes on, and uh, I believe, do we have verse 11 there for that? No, we don't have verse 11. Okay, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, says it made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. So that, why did he do that? So that we might become the righteousness of God in him. We're saved for a purpose. Ephesians 2, 6. And it says, and raised us up with him, and he seated us with him in the heavenly places in Jesus Christ. Child of God, that's who you are to him. You may not see yourself as that. Satan wants to define you by what you have done or what you are doing right now. God wants to define you by what his son has done for you. He wants to, he has saved you to be filled with the Holy Spirit. 
to all those things that we talked about of, of moral excellence and hope and love and all those things, to pour those things into our life. And until we can get past looking at our old life, we are never going to grasp the new life that he has for us in Jesus Christ. Now, the worship team is going to be coming up in just a minute, and I'm going to go ahead and have them come up right now. But I want everybody else to just bow their heads for a moment. I want to give you a time to just talk to God. You know, we're talking a lot about, you know, sin and in the past and being captive to our sin. Um, you know, I know this is true because I allow myself to be captive to my sin. This is the time for us to go and to speak to God. This is the time for us to give this back to God. You know, to, to, to not lay it at the cross to take it up again, but to lay it at the cross and to walk away from it so that he can fill you with the Christian life. So just take a moment, bow your heads. I'm going to just give you some time to pray together or, or pray quietly, you and your God, and then I will go ahead and, and Father God, I don't think there is anyone here who is not humbled by this truth. I'm brought to my knees, Father, because of my sin. I'm brought to my knees because I understand what it did to your son and the price that he had to pay. But God, I ask you to help each and every one of us get past that get past whatever it is that Satan is using to hinder us. Father, that we can stop looking at our old life and start looking at a new life in Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father, for that work you're going to do. And Lord, you know, for any who are struggling here, Lord, we welcome the opportunity to talk and to, to go through God's word. You know, Satan is not happy with this truth. Will not be happy with any of us, Father, to change the direction of our old life and be pointed to our new life. But Father, I pray that this is too important for us to just be tossed to and fro by the world and by the accusations of Satan. Father, this isn't too important for us to just leave here, Lord. I pray that you will help to later today, this week. Father, help us to, to pray about these things. Help these things to become a reality so real in my life, Father, that no longer does Satan have that foothold. Father, I just thank you for your cleansing power to